Hey everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Hey, if you enjoyed this week's episode, why not tell your friends, your family, your neighbors to come along and have a listen as well. That support means the world to us and it helps us to come back each and every week with new and exciting episodes. Please also make sure to like, share, follow, or subscribe to us on whatever streaming service you're listening on. This week, we're sitting down with Matt Thomas. He's the lead singer of Parmalee. Our conversation took us all the way back from their teenage years playing in their dad's band to the success that they've currently seen with their new hit single, Just The Way, which went number one last year. Now, their journey has been filled with many ups and downs, but they have persevered and they have found the success that they could have only dreamed of back when they were playing bars in their hometown of Parmalee. So please enjoy our conversation with Matt Thomas. Back in the days of your dad having a band and you and your brother joining it, let's talk before that growing up. I imagine music must have been in your life for as long as you can imagine. Can you imagine a point in your life when music wasn't there? It was always there. It wasn't until... uh... We knew my dad played, but he and my mom divorced when we were kids. And so it was really sports and all that until we were, you know, like 12 and 13. And that's when it really, we got the bug and, and started, you know, just diving into it. And just from that point on, it was just, it, it's been every day. Yeah, every day. So growing up, there wasn't necessarily guitars strewn about the house and that sort of thing. Then your dad wasn't living with you at that point? No, I had one. But, you know, when you're a kid, Scott was beating on pots and pans. Um, but playing guitar is kind of tough when you're a kid, you know, if somebody, especially if somebody's not there to show you every day, even it wasn't YouTube back then. Right. So, um, there was nobody to really teach you. You had to kind of look at charts and, you know, you add a tune guitar, it's just almost impractical, uh, if you didn't pick it up right away. But, uh, I never, I mean, once I got, got my guitar and really dove in, it was, you know, two hours before school, two hours after school, just, you know, it, all the time. And I was going to ask you how you and your brother gravitated towards the different instruments. Was it just natural that you both gravitated towards different things? I think so. Uh, Like I said, Scott was kind of had a little drum kit growing up. I don't know what happened there. I do remember when I was in, when we got, we both got guitars for Christmas and uh, I kind of stuck with it. He just, he was already playing drums. So it was one of those things where uh, he just stuck with the drums. I guess it was easier. Right. And what age was that when you got your first guitar? I think I was 12. So that was pretty early on then. Yeah, yeah. And what was it like when you first got that? Did you feel a a natural pull towards it that you wanted to learn it? Yeah, because we didn't, we were at that point, we had kind of went to my dad and told him, we were like, we want to do music. We want to learn. So he would loan us his guitar or whatever guitar was left at his house. And and, you know, we kept asking him to borrow guitars, so he, he knew he needed to get us something. Uh, so we finally got those guitars for Christmas, which I still had that first one. It's was, it was a cool, um, I still have that guitar. Oh, really? Do you still play it on stage, or is it just kind of in the background? Well, I actually set my, my little brother's house now, and I got to get it from him, because I thought he might take it up, or maybe, maybe my little nieces will, will play it. So we'll see. That's awesome. And as far as your dad goes, did he sort of push you? towards music because he was so deep into it or did he just kind of let you find it on your own no he, he was a you know weekend warrior logger during the day and and played music on the weekends and and uh we just he had 
he started his, he rekindled his band back when we were in high school starting our band. So we kind of started our band in high school and he started his band back. So he started playing the clubs. We were going out to see him, watching his kids, you know, going to see the clubs. And eventually Scott and I started playing in his band with him and Barry as well. We all eventually ended up in one band together. Yeah. You know, we were reliable musicians. We would show up. We wouldn't drink too much. We'd load all the gear. You know, we just, we just had to get good enough. It took, took a few years to get good enough to play. <laughs> That's awesome. And so you were sort of the reason for him to get back into it. If you guys wouldn't have started playing, do you think he would have gotten back into it and would have, would have gotten that bug again? I don't know. I, I think it's interesting now, now to look back on how it all kind of started at the same time. I, maybe it did have something to do with it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty, it's pretty cool to think about it. <laughs> and in high school, what were the high school bands like for you back then? Were they country oriented, more rock? It, everything back home was, was Southern oriented, mostly Southern oriented, whether it would be uh, more like Southern soul. We had a lot of like blues and R and B in our area. So that was always influenced into the, what they call beach music was a thing. Um, I always like classic rock and roll and stuff like that. And then you had your metal bands and then you had your country artists, but band wise, it was always guitar slingers and, you know, uh, a lot of stuff like Almond Brothers and, uh, you know, the, the, the songs of the, the Southeast, you know, a lot of that. And what was your first band? What was the name of it? Early times with a Z. <laughs> really progressive, really pushing, pushing the edge, right? I'm telling you, man, put that Z in there, it just made it that much cooler, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so what age were you? What grade were you in when that band started? I think we were 14 or 15, maybe. <laughs> and what age were you then? It, was it right around that time that you started jumping on stage with your dad as well? Yeah, I think I was about 16. Well, no, we did our first show together when we were 15. Um, the, the, uh, it was, he, he, the first time we ever played on stage was with, with him. We did a benefit for the uh, Humane Society, and we did a song. And so he played harmonica and sang, and we played. Uh, but, yeah, then not long after that, we, were, we would show up to the show, and he'd let me play guitar, and then eventually took over guitar for the band and that kind of stuff. So, all you know, high school years was kind of like, in between my band and his band and so what did you learn from him growing up did when you were on stage with him were you aware enough to kind of pull inspiration from him or were you that sort of youth who was like i know what i'm doing i'm cool i can play in a band i thought i did <laughs> <laughs> didn't realize how bad i was until i looked no it, it uh no i knew it was very i mean we definitely inspired to be like him we did the songs tried to sing like him and play the guitar licks and and but we jammed man we you know we did it and um it was definitely something to look look to but back home there was no there was no um there was no one or no information on how to do it professionally or you know you might write a song but there was not professional songwriters around that, that were helping you or we didn't know you could come to nashville and write songs or go to school in belmont it was none of that kind of music knowledge it was just just get up there and jam you know <laughs> <laughs> when did your writing begin? Um, when I was about, I think we wrote the first one when I was like 16. Terrible. Terrible. <laughs> I was going to ask, what were you writing about back then? <laughs> Girls. Same thing I'm writing about now. It's just <laughs> a better story. Um, yeah, the, the, uh, um, it, it was 
we had a recording session. This guy opened up a studio back home. And so my dad got it for uh, my, my uh, birthday or something. He, he actually got some recording time. And uh, you realize how good you're not when you get the studio. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> do you still have those first recordings? Yes. I, I, they're, they're somewhere. I don't, I don't uh, seek them out, but I, they're, they're somewhere. <laughs> and so when he retired, and you guys kept going as the, the Thomas Brothers band, right? At that point. And so at that point, were you still just kind of focused on the weekend warrior thing? Or were you more focused at that point on figuring out just what routes you would have to take to actually make this some sort of a career? That's yeah, both of those. It was it was weekend warriors. We were trans. Uh, forming from playing in his band and the songs that, that he was doing with his guys, the, the older stuff. And then we started playing new stuff. We were, you know, getting into college and wanted to play, we wanted to play college parties, you know, we don't want to play the old biker bars anymore. <laughs> right. You know, so we started learning new songs and, and I started, you know, going out and seeing bands that I was, was coming out that I was liking and, and you start hearing these songs and you start seeing them on MTV or, or you know, and you were just like, I want to do that, but didn't have any idea on earth how to do it. So we wrote a couple songs. And then one guy, um, the guy that was playing with us, um, he, his time was up to the other guy. And uh, we found Josh and Barry and we just decided we were going to, we were going to do our own thing and, you know, write a couple songs. And, uh, and uh, we were doing like the, what we call menu venues. That was the only paying gig. You, you go and you play for, you know, four hours in there and you bring your own PA and, you know, you'd slip in one of your original songs. You try to get it in there, get it in there. And, you know, nobody wants to hear that when they're listening to all oh, a cover band. Right. Yeah. Uh, but we eventually just came to the decision that, that we were going to do our own material and we were going to go work every day and put everything on credit cards and go from making any money. You know, we might get paid five or $600 to do a, a, a show that's bring your PA play for four hours to maybe getting a hundred dollars or just open up for somebody for free, but you're doing 30 minutes of your own material. And, uh, we all made that pack that data, uh, that we weren't going to be, uh, hopefully not have to play any venues where you where the, the drunk person in the front is going to be hollering brown eye girl at you for the rest of your life. <laughs> and when did the country influence start to take over for you guys like you said growing up it was more about the rock and then with your dad it was more about the classic rock so when did country start to make its way into thinking that's what you wanted to do well it was we actually did a lot of country songs like my dad did like travis tritt and we did garth brooks and we did kentucky headhunter so that's that kind of stuff so we we had that in our dna so that's always going to be there um and it, it's kind of always been there it's just which way you lean towards the the song could kind of always could go that way, but it was always going to be that edgier side of it. Um, but not until we got out here, uh, we finally got out here to Nashville and started working with the producers out here. We brought our sound in and they helped us craft it. Like, you know, Carolina, the version you hear now is, is uh, we came to Nashville and reported that we had done a little bit more rocking version before. Um, but it's just really timing too with where country was at when we got here was Jason had come out and, and Eric Church and Big and Richie come out and those guys that were bringing like more of the rock and roll to the stage that, that, that people were getting used to hearing it. I mean, um, 
she's country had come out and then that's you know rocking save a horse and all those songs were were kind of introducing a little more edge and so i think the timing had a lot to do with it as well and that's what i was going to ask you we'll talk more about the new music in a bit but since we're talking about sort of that transition that country has taken over the years your new song with blanco back then when you're recording your debut and even your sophomore album would a song like that have been picked up do you think back in those days or was the timing just right now for a song like that i mean i think that song it could have been anytime the production would have been different you know but who knows if it would have worked out in the particular time but i'm uh I think it would have. I think it would have. We did a version that I recorded with just me singing. And it was really good. It's, you know, it sounded like some of the older stuff. And it's, you know, it, it was interesting. But I think like all that plays into it, the time in production, uh, the, the sounds you're used to hearing at this current time, the kind of thing, uh, all that has a lot to do with it. And when you first moved to Nashville, you were basically living in your RV doing the recording and then when you ran out of money you'd go back home work a bit and then go back to nashville is that how it sort of worked off the beginning yeah that's how we were doing it we were out here as much as we could could afford you know you might come out for a month and stay uh come out for a couple weeks however long until the money ran out and then you go back and work and get some more money and come back out (laughs) and when did that switch what was the year that you officially made the move or have you lived like in Nashville at all? Or do you, do you just travel there? No, we've, we've been here 10 years. We, we okay. signed the record deal in 2011, almost 10 years to the, to the month. Uh, yeah, it was July, 2011. We, oh, okay. um, we made sure that we had uh, the deal set in place and that we had a, at least a job out here. <laughs> no one paying us anything. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a job, but, we all had to uproot all our, everything we, our whole lives in North Carolina to move, you know, 11 and a half hours away. So it was a big move for everybody to, uh, to do, but we knew we had to do it. So we just got the old RV and packed it up and moved into a house together and lived on the floors till we could scrap up some furniture. <laughs> <laughs> and back in the day, there was a barn that was your first rehearsal space. Now, was that Studio B or was that another bar and rehearsal space that came later no that was it that's where we started uh parmalee we would rehearse out there um one of the guys that was in my dad's band it was his old house so he rented us the barn and um we would just go out there every night we go to work during the day uh doing construction cutting trees doing whatever we could do and we meet up a couple nights a week and we just stay out there for like four hours and just rehearse and write and make noise and uh that's kind of where everything started right there and you recently did the barn session that you released. Is that in that barn? Please tell me you recorded it in that barn. I wish I, that barn that we recorded that in is way, it's actually behind my house. It's my neighbor's barn. So yeah, it's way bigger. This, this barn that we rehearsed in was about the size of this room right here. Yeah. <laughs> and so how does that shape a band? When you're starting in a space like that, you're traveling back and forth to Nashville, trying to make it work. Like, how does that shape you as a band those years? I mean, it, it's everything. I mean, that's what, that's what makes you build the integrity. It builds the respect. It builds um, just the, the eagerness to get out there and go. And it builds the brother, the brothership, that's what you call it, friendship. Everybody's just kind of, you're all in the same for one and everybody's got to put in the same amount. So 
you learn to tackle things together. You know, you learn to you, you attack things differently and, and you just have this, you know, team mentality. Right. And before you signed your record deal, you hooked up with uh, David Bendith. Is that how you say it? Bendith? Canadian. Shout oh, okay. David Bendith. Yeah. <laughs> and how did that relationship help you guys in moving forward? Because he was the reason that you were able to record your first full length, right? Mm-hmm. He, um, he was our first real producer we worked with. We went to New York City and recorded with him, and he um, he really, really whooped us into shape as a, as far as a band goes. Yeah, just tightened us up, and you know our songwriting was okay, you know. But but as far as being a band and like really playing well together, he did a great job of teaching us how to do that, showing us how to properly record, and just that experience was amazing, man. Just going to New York and living for a month, and just walking down Times Square to go through Times Square to go record music is amazing. And another experience that you had was in 06 when you went to California to record. What did those opportunities mean to your music recording outside of Nashville and sort of outside of the country music hub? Did that have any effect on the influence of the music moving forward after those experiences? Absolutely. I mean, we, we were told when we went to LA that we needed to be in Nashville. That was the, the main thing we got out of that whole trip. I mean, we, we had a blast. We had a great time full-on LA experience but after writing and recording some songs they were and meet with some some top guys up there they were like you guys need to be in Nashville so that prompted us to kind of come out here and, and really start digging in and uh, coming back and forth about every other year right and then we moved to 2010 and of course the the shooting incident it's an attempted robbery on your RV your brother Scott is shot three times he has a five percent chance of living I'm sure everyone knows the story. I'm sure you're probably sick of talking about it, but um, it's a big part to your story. And I wanted to ask the 40 days that he was in the hospital. Now, during that time, mentally for you, what was that like? Because I imagine that there was trauma there mentally for you and the other guys in the band. So what was it like overcoming that mental trauma in moving forward? I mean, yeah, it was tough. I think knowing that we had Nashville was really what kept us kind of going. But, I mean, you just got to – everybody was just believing that Scott was going to get better. There there wasn't any, like, not getting better. He was going to get better. He's going to get out of this, and we're going to get to Nashville. We're going to go play the showcase, and we're going to get that record deal. (laughs) And that's what we did. (laughs) And do you think if that record deal wasn't – or if that showcase wasn't in place, if you were still a struggling band – that didn't really have anything on the horizon that things maybe would have been different moving forward? Um, yeah, I don't, we wouldn't have been in that. We wouldn't have done that show. Had we not come out here though? That was the whole oh, okay. thing. And everything just kind of leads into another thing. Who knows what, what would have happened? Um, I don't know. It's crazy to think about it. Um, we've had so many like things that were about up to that point. So many things that were about to happen record deals that almost came together and then somebody was going to sign us. They did and that kind of stuff. So we had been through the ringer, but you know, the only reason we, the only reason we were doing that show was we were kind of prepping to come out here to Nashville to do the showcase. That was the reason we did that Monday night, which normally we would have never done been out doing it. So I mean, you know, we just still, we just, we just still found some way to keep going. And <laughs> you, know? you talk about that business side, the rejection, the hopes that are dashed. 
as a band coming up, how do you get through those? What is that like mentally and just pushing through all those experiences? It's tough. I mean, it's, it's a brutal business. It's cutthroat. You're either the bear or you're getting eaten by the bear, you know? I mean, it's always going to be that way. You have to understand it. It's uh, but I mean, you got to show up, you got to keep working. You gotta, you gotta just keep on going. Cause nobody's thinking about what you're doing, doing when you're doing your hardest work, you know, they're doing yeah. everything. You got to keep, you got to keep grinding until you find something to attach to and keep on, you know, um, that's, that's kind of, we've always had that mindset, I think. And that for you was that record deal. Now talk about playing that showcase and what it was like, what you were feeling as you were playing. And then sort of afterwards when there's those nerves of what did they think? Are they going to offer us anything? Yeah. Well, we, um, we knew the songs we were going to play and we've been rehearsing them. We had a great set. Uh, there was one particular song that the, that the label owner wanted to see if we would do. It's kind of his test. He didn't tell us, but we kind of heard through the grapevine. You guys need to play this song, My Montgomery. He wants, to, he wants to know if you guys are down to cut outside songs, you know, some songs other people written. I was like, yeah, we're fine with that. So we played that song at the, at the showcase. And after the showcase, the label owner came up and hugged me and Scotty said, you got it. Y'all passed the test. You passed the test. <laughs> <laughs> so I thank God. And then, and then we went back home and that was in February and we didn't sign the papers until like July. I mean, that was the worst. <laughs> that, that stretch of time was the longest time on earth. Well, uh, I bet because you've gone through all these experiences of, you know, having these things offered to you and then taken away and offered taken away. So in, in, in that span between getting the hug and signing the papers, was there a lot of worry that this isn't going to happen in the end? Yeah. We're, we're believe it when you see it, people. You know, believe anything when you see it, you know? And I didn't see that signed copy of that paper in front of me. I was like, I... so when he said, uh, we're ready for you guys to sign, we drove up that next day, 11 hours, and we were, we were ready, ready to sign. Man. That is awesome. And Must Have Had a Good Time was sort of the th- song that kicked it off for you. Now, was that recorded before you did that showcase or was that after? That was before we recorded Carolina and must have had a good time before we, before Scott got shot. That was the production deal we had got tied up with in uh, like May of 2010. And then we did the showcase in like February, 2011. Okay. And talk about must have had a good time because that's an interesting uh, write and production because you were in your RV when you wrote it and produced it, you had a little setup in there. And I read that basically it was supposed to be a serious, right? But then it started pouring down rain that day and it turned into having a couple of beers and just kind of letting it flow. And that song came out of that, right? Yeah, man. We were just kind of goofing off. And next thing you know, we're, we're rocking it. And, and uh, David, our producer, played it for the guys that he was working with. And they loved it. They're like, well, we want you guys to cut it. I was like, all right, we'll do it. So that was just funny. Wrote it in the RV, all based on true events that happened several times at our house parties in the past. And then it came true in the music video, right? Cause you guys actually got kicked off the set that you were working on. Cause you're getting too rowdy. Yeah. 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 The, uh, mini horse used the bathroom on the ladies carpet. So they kicked us out. <laughs> oh man. That's hilarious. And so coming into 2013, Let's talk about that because that's a big year for you. Now, you released the single at the beginning of the year. 
And then in December, it goes number one as you're releasing the album. So how crazy was that to have all these years of struggling and then all of a sudden have this number one before your debut album's even out? I know, man. It's everything you dream of. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy we, uh, how it all ended up working out. But to have a song go number one is a, it's a special event, man. It's, it's, it's unreal. And to be able to drop that album, and, and uh, I think the coolest part is being able to go, go home that, that Christmas was a, a good Christmas because we went home and we had the number one song in the country or just recently had it. And not just for us, but for our fans, for our family and everybody, they finally had the recognition and after seeing us struggle for so many years, they're like, okay, finally. <laughs> and when you take that trip home, you have the number one, you have the record deal. So it's like, this is our career now. So are you driving by all those places that you played all the places where you worked day jobs, struggling to make enough money to do this. Were you driving by those just realizing what now was happening? Yeah, we, yeah, stressed out because <laughs> still getting to the same stressed feeling that, that we got had when we were having to go to work every day or trying to figure out what the next move was or, you know, no one's got in the hospital, you know, all those roads that we traveled was the main road back and forth to get in and out of town. A lot of memories. And it's just now where we're like, we can go back and just chill, go fishing. Don't worry about it. Don't, don't think about that. You still though, you ride by an old site that you cut it, the trees on. You're going to take you right back to that, that year when you're doing it. So uh, it's all good though. It's all good. Now. Do you have a chance now, now that things are so crazy to sort of sit back sometimes, especially the past year and a half when you've had time to do that and just look at the journey that you've been on and the just the highs and lows and the craziness that it's been? Yeah. Try not to think about it too much. We just try to keep focusing ahead. You know, I think everybody's like that. Uh, yep. But, you know, you go, you'll go down that stuff. I mean, you're looking at an old picture or, um, you know, something will pop up on your timeline or something. You're like, wow. And then you just think about you know, that, that when it, we went from zero to 150 miles an hour in, in like, a year and a half and just a lot of life experience experiences happened travel and tour and playing shows and doing all that kind of stuff. So it's a special trip for anybody who gets a you know position to put out a song and then have some, some success behind it. Yeah. It's funny. A lot of musicians I talk to talk about the fact that they're so focused looking forward. They don't see what's in the present. And I look at the wall behind you and look at all those plaques and the amazing things you've done in the moment did you appreciate when those moments happened yeah and I, and I try to really hold on to more things now than i did before and i've had people tell us that you know, actually soak all this in so we try to do that as much as possible and um yeah i think everybody's always kind of got this going so it, it's hard to do sometimes but i think now more than ever we just especially after last year kind of put everything in focus and, and where your priorities are, what's important, what's not, what you want to do, what you don't want to do. And just the way that's the big thing that's happened over the past year and a half. Now you released that song in 2019. Did you have the rest of the album on the go or did you release that? And then you worked on the, the rest of the album after that kind of through 2020. We had, we released, uh, just the way in December in 2019. And once it started going, uh, that's when we really 
focused in on, on a lot of the songwriting because, you know, obviously the pandemic hit and we were in quarantine. So we really had a lot of time to write, to write. And, um, well, we I'd written a ton of songs up to that point, but we knew when we put that song out, that was the focus and that was the, that's where we needed to be going, you know, and that, that's for a couple of years, we were, we were kind of shuffling around trying to figure out what's the, where, where, where do we need to be landing at? Where, what's the sound that people need to hear from us? And I think with just the way coming out, it definitely gave us purpose and direction. And, um, when you go in the writing room and you're writing songs, if you have a direction for the people you're writing with, it, it helps out a whole lot to know what you're trying to write. So right. all the songs that we had, we ended up with a bunch of songs, a bunch of songs we all really loved. And that's kind of how the album came about because we just had all these songs. And you were coming off your sophomore album, 27861. And that was done sort of piece by piece. You did it in a lot of different studios and they were sort of home studios, not major studios. So coming into this album, were you focused on doing sort of a more cohesive project than that? Yeah, we did it different because we, we used a lot of Nashville players on it to get some different takes on stuff. And we would go in and cut, you know, five songs in a day and really like come back home. I had a vocal booth here, so I was singing a lot here. But we were really going in with songs almost pretty much laid out. And then we'd have band that would do the band thing over top of it. And, uh, but it was a lot of, uh, it was just more uh, purpose behind this, all the songs, the sounds, everything was really like, did a lot of writing with the producer and everything was, it, it just was so much more intent with, with, with these songs. And just the way with the success that it was having, did that put pressure on the creation of the album to have to sort of match that? Well, the, most of the songs on the album were, uh, it was what, what should be behind just the way. That's where a lot of these songs came from is us saying, okay, if we had to, what would you want to hear next after just the way, if you heard just the way, what would you want to hear next? And we went at the writing process kind of that way for a lot of songs. So yeah, obviously you're trying to come behind a song that big it's, it's hard you don't want to think about it too much, but you, you do need to, you do need to come up with something that's, I feel like in the same wheelhouse and the same, uh, you know, the vibe and that kind of thing. So that was a lot of, uh, a lot of the songwriting was just speaking about that before we get in it, before we start writing that kind of thing. Right. And so just the way goes number one, and I believe it was on your birthday or right around your birthday. What was that experience like as opposed to when Carolina went number one? Was it a different feeling at all or was it the, the same no, thing? It's amazing. It was amazing. Um, Carolina going number one was we had uh, everybody from back home. My parents came up. This was March, so it was still kind of locked down here a little bit. So it was a lot of, a lot of friends and uh, people came and we celebrated. I wish we could have had another big old party like that, which we probably will. But, uh, it, I mean, just – the, everything that went behind this this song uh, from the moment we get, we got started with it, it's just it was it was a it just felt great. And you've been back playing shows. What is it like playing that song and and all your songs and just seeing the reaction from the crowd after this little break that we had? It's great. The energy is so much energy at the shows because everybody's been they've been waiting and uh, hearing everybody sing back. We, had, we, we missed that most of last year, you know, nobody, the song was rise, rising up the charts and you couldn't hear anybody sing it back. So now we're seeing the effect it's had on, on everybody. And I wanted to ask you about that live performance. Cause I saw a video on social media 
when you were handing out roses to people for promotion of uh, just the way. And you talked about how nervous you were going into that situation and how you didn't like approaching strangers. And I was just going to ask you about how it works with that scenario, but then the stage and just being so comfortable, just going out there in front of thousands of people and entertaining, you know, what does the stage mean to you in that way that it makes you so comfortable? I mean, you're at home when you're on the stage and those people, you're, it's just like you're, you're, your party, you know, it's like they're one big family kind of thing. When you're walking up to somebody that you don't know with a rose, they think you're trying to sell them something or something. <laughs> the first girl, she ran away from me. She said, no, no, get away. Really? <laughs> and what is the feeling like before you head on stage? Do you have nerves at that point or is it just a calming feeling of ready to get out there? It's, you know, the, the more you do it, the better it gets, you know? So now we're, we're, we've been playing a lot. It's been, you know, you feel great when you go out there, except for the opera. You always get nervous for the grand old opera. It's always one of those. <laughs> yeah. Do you think there would ever be a time where you wouldn't be nervous to play that stage? I know. No, I don't. <laughs> and like, can you describe the feeling at all? Like, I imagine it's pretty hard to sort of put into words of what it means. Yeah. I mean, you know, not only is it like 7,000 people there, it, you know, you're, you're in the presence, everybody that's playing, they're all great musicians and the band is there. It's great. And everybody's from all over the country and such a pristine, you know, honor to play it. And you're standing in the circle. It's just one of those, uh, one of those things, man, it's just the Opry. <laughs> it is quick, real quick. <laughs> And I, I haven't seen your performance, but they have the Opry band, right? Mm -hmm. And so how does that work for you guys as a band? Do the rest of the members play or is it just you with the Opry band? No, we play and we get the guys, uh, we pick out the, the guys to play with us. They kind of uh, turn over the drum kit to Scott and then we play and, and just use those guys to help, help us out. It's really cool. And so what was it like the first time? Like, did you have family come up and, and do the whole experience? We did. We had um, both my grandmothers were um, at the first one, my mom. And, and it was it was good. Yeah, a lot of family members, a lot of uh, label people for, for the first one. And now your dad has passed. Right? Mm -hmm. When did he pass? Oh, six. Oh, six. So he wasn't around to sort of see you guys take Nine. off, hey? Nah, he didn't, he didn't get to see it. He saw us struggling, but he didn't see it. He's probably, he's probably checking us out now. I mean, like, all right, that's good. <laughs> well, yeah, I was wondering when you played the Opry, I talked to people who play it and they just talk about sort of the experience and almost feeling the people that they've lost in their lives being there with them. Did you have any experiences like that, especially at the Opry? Yeah, I think we talked about it, you know, because Josh's dad passed right before uh, we got signed as well. So both of those guys, you know, were, were musicians and, and uh, you got to feel like they're, they're there in the seat, you know, I bet he'd be damn proud of what you guys have been able to accomplish. Yeah, man. I wanted to talk to you about big blue and mm -hmm. there's a coffee table. I believe you guys have in your house that <laughs> is from your, your dad's house growing up. And the truck is the truck yeah. that basically hauled your gear around when you were kids. How important are those things to have them to remind you of where you've come from? 
they're, they're cool little keepsakes. Um, you know, it's always just a reminder of, of you know, kind of keep you grounded, say, okay, don't ever forget. And, you know, remember the good times and the, and the fun things. And, um, so, it, you know, it, it, you could, you could sit up all night telling stories about us sitting there at that table. It was, at, <laughs> it was in Parmalee in the barn for a while too. Been a lot of cold beers cracked on that table. <laughs> that's awesome so i imagine it's never gonna go away then oh, we gotta keep it so it's still sitting over here and i'm trying to figure out what to do with it i gotta put it somewhere <laughs> and where's the truck is it back home it's, it's uh it's in the shop getting uh redone we're gonna get it back on the road and oh nice get to drive it back get to drive it back to north carolina and cruise down some back roads and uh reminisce and now since you guys have found success, have you been able to go home and play a, a real show since you've found all the success? Yeah, we play several, several times. We get to go back a couple times a year, whether it's back home, home, or, you know, within a couple hours of there, we, we actually go back quite a bit play. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's always great going back. And where do you play when you go back, especially to home, home? Cause it's not a very big place, right? No, uh, we were actually talking about that. The last time we did, um, we played at the Menji's Coliseum at, at East Carolina University. And we've done some stuff uh, in Greenville. Um, <laughs> I played for my mom's birthday party uh, a couple weeks ago. That's the last time we did a performance down there. But that was a, you know, a little, little private event. But, uh, that you know, as far as the venues there, there's uh, – Walnut Creek Amphitheater in Raleigh, which is a big, huge venue. Um, and uh, usually when we move back home, it's, it's the field parties. It's the, it's the uh, big old parties like that. You know? And I imagine there's going to be a lot of those this summer, not necessarily back home, but playing festivals and getting out there. And what can we expect with tour dates? You do have a headlining tour coming up later in the year, right? We're right. Yeah, we're, we're kicking it off, um, headed to bozeman montana tomorrow and we'll be just getting getting uh, getting going with the tour so we're excited to be back on the road and do as many shows as we can they're coming in this uh, shows are picking up which is good Thank you guys so much once again for listening and thank you to Matt for stopping by and sharing his story. Be sure to check out Parmalee's new album For You on July 30th wherever you stream your music. Please also be sure to like, share, follow, subscribe to us wherever you're listening. And hey, tell your friends, your family, your neighbors to have a listen as well. The support means the world. Thank you so much once again for listening and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me. Music.